Good morning, good morning. A, uh, a pastor that I know shared a personal story about how he was growing in learning how to better love his spouse. So, so his wife loves flowers and, um, and he was early on in his marriage and he just happened to work at a place where right next door there is a grocery store and at the grocery store in the front were flowers. And so uh, one day he was just kind of inspired. He wanted to please his wife and it was right there next to work really convenient, actually pretty inexpensive too. And so he's thinking this is really all good. Buys the flowers and it's also light on his wallet. So he goes home, he gets he gets the flowers and he brings them to his wife and he you know gives his wife the flowers and she goes, Oh and he said, Oh Like, I I was kind of expecting you to be happier. And she goes, oh, I I am. But but you don't, you know, you don't seem that happy. And she goes, well, I kind of know where you bought these, you know, like right across from your office, right? Yeah. And I kind of know you didn't pay that much for them because there's still that little green sticker that's here and you didn't bother to peel it off. And he goes, but, but isn't that the beauty of it all, he says, because it, it was so convenient. Um, and he says to her, would you rather that I go somewhere out of my way, lose all this time, and pay money? And she said, yes. <laughs> um, and he said, I learned a very important lesson that day, which is that love doesn't mean anything until it costs you something. Love doesn't mean anything until it costs you something. And, and today in the scripture that we're going into today, uh, in effect, it's what Jesus is saying. Love doesn't mean anything until it costs you something. And then he says, by the way, this is the path towards true joy. And today we're going to ask all of you, do we really believe this? Do we really believe that... Um, True joy is found in loving sacrifice. And what does this look like to live a life of sacrificial love? What does it look like? So this is where we're going today. And uh, uh, I say we because I'm not alone here. Um, uh, Right to my right is Scott. And as you might have guessed, we are co-teaching. Scott is one of the teachers in our youth ministry He is preparing to go into ministry. He's been an incredible mentor to our kids. And so today, we wanted to invite him to teach all of us. And so, can I just get a shout out from the youth for Scott? No, the youth, the youth. Yeah, 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 okay. Youth. All right. Okay. um, So, so this is what we're going to do today. Uh, We're going to teach... Verses 9 through 17. So that's eight verses, okay? Boom, boom, boom. We're going to go through it quick. We're going to go line for line. And so if you really want to unpack God's word today, uh, eight verses, we're going to unpack them line by line. And then we're going to go back to the main idea, what we think the main idea is, and we're going to say, hey, church, do, you, do we really believe this 
Do we really believe what Jesus is saying? Do we really believe this main idea? And then Scott and I are just going to go back and forth, and we're going to talk about what it looks like to actually like, live it out. Because we're talking about, okay, how, if, if, if the path of true joy is sacrificial love, what does this look like for you and me, for, for Scott and myself? And so, okay, but first we're going to explain <clears throat> all the verses. Scott, uh, you want to say hi to church? Hi to church. Okay. Nice to see you. Uh, so Scott's going to read the, uh, the passage, and then he's going to start explaining the lines. God wants me to pray. All right. You wanted to pray. I'm praying at the end. You're praying at the beginning. Right. Okay. So, let us pray. Uh, Dear Lord, we um, believe in the power of your word. It is so amazing how if we just explain your word, you, you speak to your people uh, in the whisper of the Holy Spirit, in the th- conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we've come today, and we want to hear from our Father. So speak to your people, speak through your word, encourage us, inspire us. Uh, this time is, is yours. Um, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17 says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. So we've been going through the series on what it means to abide, and last week, Pastor Andrew was preaching on the first section of chapter 15, where Jesus is talking about abiding, and here, Christ continues talking about abiding, but he's shifted the focus to love. He says, just as the Father has loved Christ, he has loved us. We are to abide in the love that Christ has shown us. We are to live every moment in Christ's love. And Christ is really just hammering this point home. He's repeated this concept again and again. Um, So we ought to pay attention to what does it mean to abide? What does it mean to make our home in Christ's love? And Christ gives the answer in verse 10. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. It's like, okay, that's that's pretty simple, right? Where's to keep the commandments? Uh, Just like Christ kept his father's commandments and Christ abided in his father's love, we are to keep Christ's commandments and abide in his love. Great. We don't have the commandments laid out here, but when I was reading this, I thought back to the Sermon on the Mount. And it's pretty tough if you actually read through that. I mean, Christ at the end calls us to be perfect as God is perfect. And that sounds impossible. (laughs) Like, is that even worth trying? Like, we are called to be like Christ, but but why? It's like we know that's, that's not a thing we can do. This is really hard, right? This is like... Why is this something we should care about? And you continue into verse 11, 
You know, Jesus Christ is telling us all of this so that we may have joy, right? And who doesn't want joy? It's not just any joy, but it's his joy, right? He tells us this, that our joy may be full, not a half joy, not three quarters of joy, not 99% of joy, but a full joy, right? And how marvelous is that? Just imagine just resting in that joy, just having that with you always. And this doesn't just mean that you're feeling good, right? This isn't pleasure. This is joy. And you're like, oh, what's the difference? Well, if all I want is pleasure, that's actually pretty simple. All I need to do is go, like, eat some dark chocolate, right? Or maybe I could just, like, shoot up some heroin or something, right? That'll get the dopamine flowing. Uh, and I'm good to go. Quick, easy, right? Excellent. But the problem is that pleasure is fleeting, right? If I go eat some chocolate or shoot up some heroin, the emptiness is going to follow right after that, right? I'll feel good for a little while, but I'm going to need more. And if I keep going to satisfy that craving, I'm going to keep needing more. Pleasure requires this constant just consuming of something, right? As long as you're consuming, then you're feeling good. And so hunting after pleasure is like a trap. It like catches you in it, and you just have to keep seeking after it. And instead of feeling full, you only feel empty. So it's like your life becomes just a hunt for that next hit. And then you compare that with joy. And it's like they might look similar at first glance. They could both feel good. Like once you have joy, you're going to want it again. But like I would trade a full day of pleasure for the briefest moments of joy. And I wouldn't exchange joy for all the pleasures in the world. Right? Pleasure flees and leaves you empty, but joy leaves you full. Right? You've heard of people talk about their guilty pleasures, but you've never heard anyone talk about their guilty joys. Right? That's not a thing. <laughs> so joy is different. Joy is much harder to come by. Joy is not something that you can pursue directly like pleasure, right? It's like, we should take this flower right here, right? Pleasure would be like the flower itself. It's like here, it looks pretty, right? I like this flower. But joy is like the transcendent creator that the beautiful flower points to. And you're like, excellent. I don't really know what transcendent means. So joy is like happiness that is rooted in something eternal, Right? When you think about happiness or pleasure, it depends on the circumstances. Right? Like maybe you do a thing and you're joking, joking around with your friends and you're like, oh, that was so much fun. And then you can go home and you kind of forget what that feels like. Right? It kind of just flees away. But when you look back on moments of joy, right, while you may not necessarily be in that moment, you can still feel the weight of that moment with you. It's like something that you're carrying with you all the time. Right, so Christ is telling us all of this so that we can have that complete joy. So now it's like, okay, you've sold me. What do we have to do? And Christ has taken the essence of all of the commandments, and he just says that we just need to love one another as he has loved us. Right? It's wonderful. It's like if you take all of the commandments, there's like 600 and something in the Old Testament, and they all have this one thing in common to love one another as he has loved us. So now Pastor Andrew is going to explain what that means. Verse 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus is saying that the measure of love is not in the height of feeling, but in the willingness to sacrifice. 
The measure of love is not in the height of feeling, but the willingness to sacrifice. Jesus is saying that the proof of love is sacrifice. In other words, he's saying it doesn't mean anything until it costs you something. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Verse 15, I no longer call you servants. For the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So here Jesus is contrasting a servant from a what? A friend, and a friend from a servant. Now here's the difference according to Jesus. Um, A servant doesn't need to know the purpose of the master. Uh, A servant doesn't need buy-in. A servant is just a tool. Uh, For example, I did a lot of cooking this weekend. I don't need my sous vide to have buy-in. I just need the sous vide to do the job, you know? Just get it done. And so here is Jesus saying to his disciples, in effect, Jesus says to us, look, I am actually not just about you getting it done. I'm not into obedience without love. I'm not into busy hands with an empty heart. And that's why he treats you as a friend. That's why I explain everything to you, because Jesus wants our hearts buy-in in this um, a task of loving other people. So Jesus is saying that he wants our love to flow into obedience and obedience to overflow with joy. Church, you all with me still? Okay, a couple more verses. Verse 16. You did not choose me. So for some reason right now, Jesus thinks it's very important to point this out. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Now I thought it was interesting uh, why at this moment Jesus is making this clarification. Let's make this clear. You didn't choose me, I chose you. So I, I was thinking the reason why Jesus is pointing this out is in part because knowing that he chose us is somehow very comforting and empowering for the task that lies in front of you. In other words, this loving people to the point of sacrifice is not your idea. It's not your idea. You didn't come up with it. And here's the thing. If you know it's not your idea and he's calling you to do it, then when you do it, you have this Faith, understanding that he won't call you to do something without giving you what you need to get it done. And so it's this whole knowledge of understanding that he's called you is just a very empowering thing. Now, last verse, verse 17. These things I have commanded you so that you will, what's the next word? Love. That you will love one another. So this ended, I mean, sorry, this, this began, verse 9, in love, and now it's ending in love. And so we know that this, the whole point of this passage is love. Jesus is emphasizing love, love, love. Okay, now Scott and I have explained all eight verses, and, um, and I think we've uh, spent a good amount of time just unpacking it. So let's go back to the main idea Binding this all together again, what's the main idea? And, and here's, here's how we did it. 
Jesus says that greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends in two words, that's sacrificial love, right? And then Jesus says, I've told you these things so that my joy, my joy may be in you. So basically we're combining these ideas into one main idea, which is true joy is found in loving sacrifice. True joy is found in loving sacrifice. You all with us and how we got there. Now the question is, do you really believe it? Church, do you really believe that the path towards true joy is found in laying your life down for one another? Do you really, really believe this? Now I was doing a little bit of soul searching, like do I really believe this? You know, like, and I was thinking for myself, like, if every day in my marriage with my wife, if I am metaphorically, even literally, stooping down and washing my wife's feet, do I believe that is true joy? I'm still thinking about it. Um, Do I really believe that, that, that bending down to wash her feet is true joy? Or how about this one? Do I really believe that when I have a close friend who has hurt me deeply, do I really believe that the path towards true joy is not giving up on that relationship, really, really continuing to forgive and really, really trying to reconcile? Do I really believe that's the path towards true joy? Not, not just in here, but what, what I really believe in my life and what I practice. Now, I think it gets a little bit more interesting, a little bit more complicated and more rich when we think about, well, what is true joy? What is joy? How do you define joy? And and Scott was saying, you know, joy and happiness are different things, right? Um, uh, It was, you know, Scott gave a, you know, a very interesting examples on on happiness, and uh, one is rooted on circumstances, on the pleasure here and now and what I can feel. And one is rooted in the eternal. Both make you smile. But one is focused on the here and now. And the other is focused on something far greater. The ultimate pleasure of the future that will be it is ultimate joy in Christ. One is focused on this flower and it's beautiful and one is focused on who the flower is pointing to. Now, I, I was thinking, okay, I, I want to break it down on a different level, maybe on a heart level so that people, other people can kind of relate to what we're talking about. And I'm still wondering, do you really believe that the path towards true joy is through loving sacrifice? And Scott and I agreed This is a good example. So, here it is. How many of you, by a show of hands, have seen uh, Avengers Endgame? Raise your hands. Okay. All right. Now, for the others who haven't seen it, um, this is like a really big spoiler alert, okay? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's like, why haven't you seen that movie yet, you know? Um, Okay. Imagine 22 movies are all building up to one culminating movie. And you've probably seen the the other movies, but you haven't seen this movie. How many movies were there? Like 22? 22 movies building up towards one final plot reveal. Okay? It's a big deal. Okay? And so so here is like Marvel and Avengers. And they want to do this right. 
right? Because they got 20 billions of dollars invested into this one movie. And you can't afford to have it end like Star Wars did, right? (laughs) Which was just, J.J. Abrams, come on, right? Like, get together and figure out where it's going. Okay, anyways. So, yeah, you agree with me. So, Tony Stark, okay, this is the... So to, who, who arguably, no, he is like the main protagonist, like hero, right? And at one time, way back in the Iron Man series, he said, you can always count on me to please myself. You guys remember that one? That was a good line. That's Tony Stark. He's, he's like a playboy, and he kind of lives for himself. Now, at the end of of the end game, at the end of the franchise, he sacrifices himself to steal the gauntlet from Thanos, right? And he got the, and he snaps, and then he undoes everything that Thanos just did, remember? And then as, by snapping it, every cell in his body is fried. You guys, you guys are with me, right? So he's lying there, and, and they just know he basically saved everyone. And then, you know, you got Spider-Man. He's like, oh, 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 right? And then, and then Pepper comes and, like, pushes him out of the way, right? And it's like it's this really tender moment. You guys remember this. And he's looking, and Tony Stark just has moments, and it's, and it's, 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 it's coming to an, an end. And then, and then she says, she says, Tony, Tony, don't worry about us. We're going to be okay. You go and you rest, right? And he's thinking about, we're going to be okay. Me and your daughter, we're going to be okay. And you just go and you rest, right? And so that was a very, okay, I'm just kidding. But, but <laughs> okay, no, but, but here's the thing. How many of you, show of hands, you saw that, that moment, okay, this is an honest confession, okay, and I'm not saying like ugly cry, you know, it wasn't that, but how many of you gave like a little, it was, you, you, you got moist, right, it was, or maybe it was like, right, how many of you, okay, okay, like half of you, right, and the other half of you are like tin man, right, because that was, okay, now why did you cry is my question. Why did you cry? Why all 22 moments and then one moment, the decisive, it's going to end the series, it ends on sacrificial love. And somehow we cry and we're like, that is satisfying. Why is that satisfying? Why? Can it be because inside you, everyone knows, actually Christian or non-Christian, you know that's true joy. That's right. That, that's a fitting conclusion for 22 movies. Because you know that ultimate truth, something bigger than ourselves, dare I call it true joy, is found in loving sacrifice. Is that not true? Is that not something inside you go, okay, okay, there's a lot of things in life that's worth living for. Because it's something that's actually worth dying for. It's costly love. Now, um, now, now, here's the thing. We want to break this down and get really application. I'll tell you why, okay? Um, <clears throat> I always remember this story of this policeman who was madly in love with his wife. And so he said, honey, I love you so much, I would take a bullet for you. And then his wife looked at him and said, oh, that's, that's so nice. I actually just want you to wash the dishes, Right? Which is like, when we think of costly love, we think it's, oh, it's got to be like, it's got to like taking a bullet. It's something heroic. Well, actually, maybe it's something more like just wash the dishes. 
Maybe it's like simple expressions of uh, costly love that we don't naturally think of. And so, um, Scott, we, we, we were like writing on this whiteboard, like, okay, for our church and for our community and for ourselves, what does costly love look like? Let's get really practical. What does it look like to wash the dishes? What does it look like in everyday life? And so Scott's going to go first, and we're going to just go back and forth, and we're going to talk about application. Okay, Scott, why don't you go? Yeah, so when I was thinking about, like, when do I feel the most loved, and I realized it's actually not that complicated. <laughs> it's really just when someone takes the time to, like, ask me about what's going on with my life with, like, true, genuine interest, right? Or if someone, like, takes the time to write me a, a heartfelt note, like, that's just so meaningful to me. It means a lot. Or when someone reaches out and just wants to catch up, right? Maybe it's a friend from college that I haven't talked to in a while. And... It's like, while all of these things, when you put them together, it's like, they're pretty small. It doesn't actually take that much. What it's showing is just, like, you care. Right? Everyone is so busy nowadays. You've got work. Those with kids, you've got kids. You've got events to go to. You've got studying to do. There's always reasons to not do things. And it's pretty nice to not do things, right? Like, here's the secret. You know, keep it between us, right? It's nice intimate space we got going here. Um, when my plans get canceled, I'm like, I'm pretty stoked because I'm like, oh, sweet, I have free time, right? And then I get to enjoy that time of doing nothing. So when someone else goes out of their way to do something for someone else, I notice, right? You're sacrificing the easy road to do what's convenient to care. You're saying, you are important to me. Right? Love is making time to put someone else's needs above your own. Right? For example, reaching out and making time for someone could be like babysitting their kids so that the parents can go take some time and spend it together. Right? Taking a little bit of time to think about how you can bless others and then making the time to do so is a beautiful thing. What you got? So I, <clears throat> I really resonate with what Scott was saying because like, when you think about life in the Bay Area, and you think, like, what's the one most limited resource that we, we have? And people will naturally think of money, but I think, no, 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 not for us. It's time. It is really time. So when people are letting go of time to make room for each other, it's a sacrifice. Okay, how about this one? Number two. Um, <clears throat> so I was doing a little bit of soul searching on what sacrificial love looks like in my life. And just like Scott, it's not that complicated, but I actually think it's pretty hard to do. So stay with me here. I'm convinced that if people did that, this for each other in their relationships, um, if I did this for my wife on a regular basis, I believe it would make all the difference. And really, it's to empathize. Um, your close friends, um, with the struggles they're going through, or maybe even put it in this context, when you're in a fight with close friends, how good are you at empathizing with where they're coming from? That's the question, right? And that, for, for me, is, a, is a sort of a really big challenge. Um, I, I've been told that uh, there's something very different between sympathy and empathy, okay? Now, let me just illustrate it for you. Let's say um, you're, 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 you're walking uh, past this really big hole, and then you look in the hole, and there's someone in the bottom of the hole, right? They're like in, in this bottom of this well, okay? To, to sympathy is to kind of look down 
and go, oh man, I feel sorry for you, right? That's sympathy. Empathy, in a sense, in your emotion is actually to look down, see them, and then jump in the hole with them and say, wow, this really, really sucks, right? This is, this is terrible together, right? I'm, I'm totally here with you. That, that's the difference. Like, empathy is I feel sorry for you. Uh, sympathy is I feel sorry for you. Empathy is, um, is I relate to and I understand what you're going through and we're going to get through this together. And so, for some people, this comes naturally. For other people, this is very, very difficult. And I, I was like, why is this very difficult? For me, like in a fight, I have this incredible desire to self-justify. I don't know if you're like me. I, in a fight, it's so hard for me to see my own sin. So easy for me to see the sin of the other person. And in a fight, there's this voice in my head. It goes, I am right. You are wrong. What you have done is a great injustice. And I'm, I'm fighting injustice, you know. And uh, that's what it sounds like in my mind. Now, here's the thing. True joy and true love is letting that go. Letting go of that desire to be right and listening, really listening from your heart, relating from your heart, relating to the perspective of the other party. This is not easy. In a sense, it feels like sacrifice, but the promise of Jesus is that that's the path towards true joy. So that's my number two. Scott, what, what's your number three? Yeah, I think um, this is now for myself, like when I, I feel true joy, and this is something I learned when I was in college. It's loving those who are hard to love, right? And that looks like you're welcoming them, you're talking with them, you're caring for them. And when you do that, you'll see the transformational power of love. Like, love can just have a massive impact on those we are loving. And I saw it, like I said, while I was in college, and this is all of the results of the love that my friends showed. When I was in school, I was at UC Santa Barbara. I was part of AACF, Asian American Christian Fellowship. Now, I see the, the obvious question that you all want to ask. I'm just going to go right past that one. Um, and so, <laughs> among the three Asian fellowships at UC Santa Barbara, um, AACF had the op- the reputation of being the awkward Asian Christian fellowship. Um, and my sophomore year, one of the most socially awkward people I ha- have ever met joined our fellowship. And we're going to call him Edwin, because that's his name. And <laughs> when I say like he's socially awkward, I don't take it lightly, um, because I'm also somewhat socially awkward. Right? But like, he was super into anime, and I don't mean that like that's a problem, but here's where it's like he was super into anime. When I first met him, he introduced himself as the Prince of Darkness. And you're like, okay, yeah, that, that's cool. Um, and when he would get frustrated with someone, Edwin would stick out his hand and go, Dark Devastation! And we were just like, sure, yeah. Right, like it was a magical ability that he had to do something to people. It never really made sense. And I don't know about you, but, you know, he isn't the typical person that I would normally have hung out with. But my friends in WCF Santa Barbara were more loving than I, than I was. And regardless of any outside appearance, they poured into him, right? My friends regularly reached out to him simply to spend time with him, right? They cooked food for him 
they treated him like part of the family. You know, it was completely outside of his normal experience. People would normally just shun him, right? But they, they cared. They wanted to talk with him. They wanted to hear what his life was like. They wanted to share with him, right? They, they treated him like family, like they loved him, like he was their brother, right? The thing that stood out to me most was how my friends responded when Edwin was rude or mean to them. His trademark retort when he was frustrated with my female friends was to yell, shut up, girl, at them condescendingly. And if you were doing that to me, I would probably have gotten mad and I would have snapped back some sharp retort or something like that. Um, but my friends, they just stopped and they would turn to him and firmly but lovingly they would say, Edwin, that's not cool, that's not okay. They wouldn't let him get away with anything, but they showed him abundant grace and love. And God took this witness and sacrifice for his purposes. When Edwin had been in high school, he didn't really have any friends who cared for him. And he told me later that his parents were never really affectionate with him either. And so, and he wasn't raised Christians who didn't have like a church community like we have here. So the love that my friend showed him was earth shattering. By the end of that school year, Edwin had come to faith. And now Edwin is one of the most genuinely caring people I know. When sharing his testimony, Edwin said, he's like, I used to be depressed, I used to be angry, but you are cool people, thank you for being my friends. So if you were to meet him now, you would never guess that he used to be a hard, closed off person, and the Lord just worked supernaturally in his life, and that's all through the power of love that my friend showed him. And that love is the love that we first received in Christ. It wasn't easy walking with Edwin those first couple years, but I can't help but rejoice whenever I look back on that time, and I actually was hanging out with him just like a month ago. The comfort that we sacrificed to love Edwin then has turned into 10 million times its weight and joy now. So, so uh, again, this is, um, we're talking about how true joy is found in sacrificial love. And we're talking about four ways that we see this to be true, right? Uh, so number one was uh, sacrificing time. Uh, number two um, was, um, Scott, help me, I forgot my own example. Uh, it was empathy, right? Um, and then number three was heart, loving people that are hard to love. Let me do a quick number four in terms of a last application. Um, it's this. It's letting go of bitterness. I've seen a a lot of relationships that are just poisoned um, by bitterness. Uh, Bitterness, uh, I've heard described, is unresolved conflict that is compounded with time. Unresolved conflict compounded with time. So I just want you to imagine, I'm just going to use Scott as an example because he's nearby. Okay, and let's just say that this quarter represents a flaw in Scott, okay? And this flaw has come out in our relationship, and it's probably as small as this quarter, so it's just right here, right? Now, here it is. It's just like, it's just a quarter size on, you know, in contrast to his whole body. But if I do not let this go with time, and I only see this, what happens is that it compounds with time, and it gets closer and closer so that the only thing I can see in Scott is the quarter. I don't even see Scott. All I can see is my bitterness around what he did to me that hurt me. And that's what bitterness does to a person's soul. Now, here's the thing. It kind of compounds with time. And so by the grace of God, it actually takes time to get rid of that bitterness. It takes prayer. 
It takes a radical decision. It says, Lord, I don't want to be bitter. Help me, help me. It takes scripture, and, and, but it's not easy. It actually feels like sacrifice. And so letting go of bitterness is a form of sacrificial love, but it frees a person to see that person for who they are, the image of God. It doesn't mean that the flaw goes away. It doesn't mean that you don't see the flaw. But it does mean that love always hopes, always believes, always believes in the power of God to redeem. And so, um, so those are four applications. I really like that last one. That's good. So going back to the passage, Christ is telling all of this to his disciples so they can have their joy complete. He calls us to love as he has loved us. And in his love, he sacrificed everything to go to the cross for us, laying down his life for us. And it wasn't easy, but he was full of joy. And I want a joy like that. I know that I want to love. I know that I want joy. I know what it looks like, but that doesn't change the fact that it's hard, right? How are we supposed to love like Christ calls us to love? I think the power and strength to love is not found in ourselves, but it's all rooted in the gospel. I was not a joyful teenager. I didn't have many people outside of my family who would show me love, and in turn, I wasn't very loving to the people around me. I was bitter. I spent most of high school dreading the idea of the life that we live in, where you are a kid, you go to school, and then you get a job, and then you make some money, and then you have a comfortable life, and then you have more kids who do the same thing that you just did. And I was a very existential child, and so that was terrifying to me. There was nothing joyful I found in that. I know I wasn't perfect. I couldn't see how God could love a sinner like me, and I was trapped in my sin. And then I was on a mission trip with my church in my senior year of high school. I had gone through the whole week feeling pretty down, uh, and it was the last night. We were having a message and worship night, and during the worship, worship time, I was, I was sitting by myself, and I was reflecting on the message, and suddenly it all clicked. I was warm, like someone was filling me with water from a steaming kettle, and I couldn't help but smile, and I finally understood that God loves me in spite of my sins. I knew there was nothing I could do to turn his love away from me. And now, filled with his spirit, I rejoice at being able to show that same love to those around me. And I hope that they can have the joy that I have in Christ. Right? This is something that is my honest prayer for everyone here, for people that I meet at my work, on the street, wherever, it doesn't matter. And while I'm still falling short of what that looks like, it's like I can rest in the power of the gospel to be giving me the strength to love more and more each and every day. And with that, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for just the message that you have in your word, um, that we're able to read through it. Um, and I know for myself, reading through it was just a marvelous time. Um, and I thank you for the message of joy, that we can find something that has its root in your power and not in just the fleeting pleasures that we have in this life. Um, I pray that you would give each and every one of us the strength we need to love on those around us, I pray that you would help us every day to die to ourselves as Christ died for us so that we can love like you've loved us. Help us to keep your commandments. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.